0: live from the heartland and the crossroads of america it's tony Katz today did trump hurt himself with the appearance on megan kelly with the appearance on meet the press where all of a sudden he doesn't know whether a man can be a a, a woman he's he's confused by the question from megan kelly all right, let's say he's not confused by the by the question from Megyn Kelly. Why, then, is this the answer?
1: Can a man become a woman?
0: Um... <laughs> sorry, that dog won't hunt. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. And then he's upset at six-week abortion bans? You, you, you're going to have some kind of mediation on, on what the number is for abortion? Are we now going to go back to some federal rule regarding abortion? They were odd, odd conversations. Odd conversations. So I turned to Craig Robinson, the Iowa gop longtime long time in Republican politics in Iowa, has run the Iowa caucuses, to ask him whether or not these two things, these conversations Trump had, are going to affect him negatively with Iowa evangelicals
2: yeah I think it's uh, I think it's problematic. and this is this is kind of um, these are the things that happened when he was running the first time, and as he was president, like he constantly makes things more difficult for himself than they need to be, right? And I think it's because it's not, you know, he doesn't have a you know, for all of us, especially someone like you, Tony, who talks about these issues every day, if, if you're asked a question, you know exactly how you would answer it. And it's kind of hard to see a, a presidential candidate meander uh, through an interview like this on on such issues. And this is what, you know, in some ways, I think if you're a Trump supporter, you can kind of just, yeah, you know, who cares and, and move forward. But if you're if you're what he's doing, if, if you want him to be the nominee, all he's doing is giving fuel to everyone else who's running against him. Um, He did more to help Ron DeSantis over the weekend with these interviews than he did anyone else, in my
0: opinion. The take is interesting because I did have somebody on on Twitter, on on X, social media say, Trump will lose zero votes. Us adulterers are dug in like a tick. Ron DeSantis (laughs) will never break 20%. Now, Uh, Referring to yourself as a tick is never the way I want to go. But let's get into the idea of dug in. It doesn't matter what Trump says, except these are the near bedrock things of the political right. The recognition that men are not women and women are not men. The recognition that abortion is not something that is uh, compromised on, if you will. Um, That a six-week ban is not something that you are... Uh, attacking. Is his take one that uh, there are more populists out there and they'll give up their their uh, ideological and almost religious beliefs for the populism platform?
2: Uh, kind of. Look, I think that uh, if you want to find fault with Donald Trump, he's giving you a place to go do that. I will say this. if You you know what, Tony? If you showed up to my house and you asked my dad the same questions Donald Trump was asking, asked you might get very similar answers and this is why i think he might not lose any votes because i think you know trump meandering this stuff what well what is a woman right well that's the same damn answer my dad's going to give you cuz it's weird and he doesn't like it and he's uncomfortable with the whole subject matter right and, and 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 the same the same is true on the abortion issue i mean again we've kind of muddled this up where we spent 40 years saying, return it to the states. It's a state's issue. We finally do that. Now everyone and their damn brother wants a, a federal ban, an abortion ban. And, and it's, it's odd. And so there's part of me that understands maybe where Trump's head's at, but the way he's communicating it is awful. And it, it, it just gives, it gives his opponents great, you know, great subject matter in which they can now campaign against him. Uh, because that's the thing that they've struggled to have. What's why is the reason this guy uh, shouldn't be the nominee? Well, he's hand feeding
0: that stuff to them now. Talking to Craig Robinson, uh, Iowa Republican, Iowa GOPer on the Twitter Xbox, Iowa GOP. Uh, he has uh, run these caucuses uh, for multiple years. I take a look at the numbers the Iowa State Civics poll and the Emerson poll. Uh, Trump is up in both of them, 51 in the Iowa State poll, 49 in the Emerson poll, and DeSantis is down uh, to uh, 14. It's September, man. If DeSantis isn't catching on, at what moment does he catch on? Well, that's a good
2: question. Um, things need to be moving. And the other place that, you know, This isn't all just about polls, but you got to start seeing it on the ground. And so, you know, over this past weekend, you know, people like Nikki Haley was in the state and look, she had some big events and in some weird places. And so I think there's something there. Right. And again, I think part of the DeSantis problem is, is that he's a confused candidate. Right. So he's everything they do. They try to get to the right of Donald Trump. Well, what part of the electorate are the people who are out there saying, I want someone besides Trump? Are they the real conservative people that, are, that don't want Trump? No, it's the people who voted for Mitt Romney before. And so I look at what maybe Nikki Haley's got going on as may, maybe this is someone who's going to do well where Marco Rubio did well, you know, uh, back in, in, in 2016 – uh, in the metropolitan areas in this in that caucus, um, maybe Nikki Haley is a candidate to watch because I know it's it's only September, but my God, it is September, and they got to start showing movement. And you're going to see it on the ground before you see it in the poll. And so, if I'm Desantis, I'm concerned that I'm not seeing it in the poll, and we have to wonder if we're seeing it on the ground too. So, I, I think Nikki Haley is someone to be watching here. Um, and again, she's not necessarily, you know, a right winger when it comes to the abortion issue. And, 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 but I do think that she might appeal to those more naturally, um, opposed to Trump being the nominee again.
0: You take a look at that polling and you see that, that Nikki Haley was at 10% double digits in the Iowa state civics poll, 7% in the Emerson uh, poll. She's right now in fourth place in Iowa behind Trump DeSantis and Tim Scott. The guy who fell like a stone is Mike Pence. And I think Mike Pence has been doing the most talk about A, the economy, and B, Trump's wrong on these things, specifically on the (laughs) right to life conversation. You would think that this is his moment uh, to shine, Iowa is saying, hey, thanks, but we are not interested in this game. At least that's what the polling says. Well, no,
2: look, I think Iowans have a tendency to be too nice sometimes. And so I think I think Mike Pence has been a non-starter in this race from day one. You know, I, I sat down for lunch with the National NBC folks, you know, a couple months ago. And and they said, you know, so Mike Pence. And I said, put him right next to Asa, Asa Hutchinson. And they're like, oh, you, you can't say that. And I said, he's a non-starter. And so I think people like him as a man. Um, you know, I think they appreciate, it, you know, him and his career and all that stuff. But he's a non-starter. Even if he's saying all the right things at all the right times, I just don't think he's a viable option for Iowa caucus.
0: Now, I will admit that I have said, and, and I discussed this with, uh, with Craig, you can get the full interview uh, where you get the Tony Katz Today podcast. Um, I don't trust the polling right now. And it's, it's my issue with polling for sure, but I find this all just remarkable that it's, it's not that I find Trump ahead being remarkable. The number that he is ahead is, is unfathomable. It's, it, it, did I say that right? Unfathomable? It's nuts it is surreal crazy it's amazing but I have a hard time thinking that these uh, these things won't affect Trump but what he said about Pence I, I believe to be true it's not that people really hate him never mind that some Trump supporter out there does it is that it, it it's that they're like yeah this isn't the guy no matter what this isn't the guy now Craig is also very high on Nikki Haley from the the debate and what's been happening in the polling if this has no effect on the Iowa evangelical, then I don't know why I would think that anything would be different in Iowa, except I'm waiting. Show me the caucus. After the caucus, we can discuss anything you want. This on abortion and transgender won't affect the Iowa evangelical and their vote? I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how that's possible. But you listen to Craig, and it's like, it's it's actually very possible, which I find unbelievable. I'm really, I gotta admit, If this has no effect, floored, floored. And then it's a question of, well, what are the standards that anybody has anymore? Standards do matter. The UAW strike, how does it affect Hoosiers? Gary Dick from Inside Indiana Business has the latest on that. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Ford has made their offer, GM has made their offer, Stellantis, formerly uh, Fiat Chrysler, up to their offer, and the UAW is saying, nah, that's just not it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, always a pleasure to be here. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter, or X at IIB, at Gary Dick, personally, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick on uh, Twitter, you've got the rejection there. The strike is not yet in Indiana, right? You've got the plant in Missouri, a plant in Michigan, and a plant in uh, Ohio from one of each of the big three where the United Auto Workers are demanding 36% pay increases. They want more retirement uh, benefits. They're looking for COLA, cost of living uh, uh, adjustments. They're not going to get everything they want. But before we get into what we think is going to come to Indiana, what has been the take on the strategy that the United Auto Workers have been using here.
3: Uh, it's the first time they've ever done it uh, done it this way, Tony. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, three plants, uh, one each uh, uh, from each of the big three automakers. Typically, the United Auto Workers Union will select one company; they'll select General Motors, let's say, and then target that automaker uh, with a strike and and negotiate uh, uh, beyond that uh, for, with the other two. This time around, they're targeting all three, which is, again, the first time they've, uh, they've ever done it. Uh, they're saying, and both sides appear far apart as we head into what would be the first full week of the strike. Uh, and the UAW is making no bones about it. They're uh, more than willing to expand the strike. So start with these the three plants and then add plants, be it parts plants, assembly plants, or whatever the case might be as the strike goes on, thinking that will give them leverage uh, in, this, uh, in this negotiating process.
0: The the leverage part is that, uh, as we have seen, they're going to utilize this drip, drip, drip philosophy. We could expect today sure. or tomorrow to see another three plants go on strike. But here in Indiana, not only do we have plants we also have those who supply those uh, plants what are you hearing from those businesses or or people who supply even those businesses about how they're going to handle this will this uh, put more pressure on the big three to come to the table faster
3: well, as you say, uh, Tony, uh, uh, we have both assembly plants and parts plants uh, here in the state of Indiana, and no impact yet, but that impact more than likely uh, certainly is coming. We're beginning to see it at other parts of the country. There was news out the, this morning, I believe uh, it is uh, a Ford plant uh, that is talking about maybe 2,000 workers being laid off uh, in, uh, in Missouri, I believe, because of a lack of parts because of that impact is beginning to filter down from the uh, from the strike. So the potential is there. If the Fort Wayne General Motors Truck Assembly Plant, as an example, can't get parts uh, uh, it, it, you know, you know, produce, that they need to produce, obviously they'll be impacted. Uh, the Marion Stamping Plant, GM Plant, Big Plant, Longtime Plant, and Marion uh, is, is at risk when you talk about that. Stellantis, uh, all the Chrysler brands, three transmission plants, an engine plant uh, as well uh, in Kokomo. Uh, if uh, an assembly plant in Toledo would go down, that would certainly impact Kokomo. So it's a ripple down, trickle down, if you will, effect uh, affecting these, uh, these plants in Indiana potentially. And as the strike goes on, and there are lots of indications that it's uh, not going to get solved anytime soon, we'll begin to see those uh, see those impacts
0: talking to Gary Dick of InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Let's move it off the, the strike right now. Westfield getting investment from an Israeli pharmaceutical company. Your sister's over there at a uh, sister company at the IBJ talking about this big investment. The question is, is this the start of a growing industry push or is this one company that has a chance to really grow in Indiana?
3: You know, I think, uh, I think all of the above, uh, really. And if you look at A... Uh, Israel as a trading partner uh, with Indiana, we're beginning to see increasing signs uh, of that connectivity and the investment from companies in Israel in Indiana. Uh, I know a big uh, made a big investment in uh, in Anderson, uh, among other places here. But in this uh, this whole <clears throat> pharma, nuclear medicine area, and that's what we're talking about here uh, with this company, Isotopia USA. Uh, It's a subsidiary of an Israeli company uh, locating in Westfield, $20 million investment, 50 jobs. So the jobs number is not necessarily huge, but a big number in terms of investment, $20 million in communities like Westfield. We're seeing it in Fishers, uh, too, which has been a surprise, I know, to uh, uh, Mayor Scott Fadness. there, the number of life sciences companies that are beginning to locate uh, in uh, in Fishers uh, as well. So I think it's... Not only the beginning; I think it's already started. I think it's beginning to pick up uh, a bit of of uh, momentum.
0: Yeah, uh, the fifty jobs one could argue is not a big number, but the fifty jobs is also can be seen, and I saw it as the start uh, of something. It's that we don't often hear about, and and Westfield has grown, and this is not a dig on Westfield uh, in in the slightest. But I haven't seen the conversations, heard the conversations about Westfield getting this kind of development, the corporate headquarters and things like that is, is there a turn starting to take place where the pushes like we've seen certainly in Lebanon, uh, where they're building and building the questions about how they got the land, but they're creating all of this corridor regarding Purdue is the push now. Hey, maybe Carmel isn't the only place for your corporate HQ. I, I
3: think it's a natural evolution. Uh, really Tony. If you think about it, Um uh, uh, looking at where companies want to locate, let's face it: these companies are attracted here because of Indianapolis, because of what Indianapolis has to offer. That you have, you look at the uh, the great suburban locations, uh, the Westfields, the Fishers, uh, you can go on down the list, uh, Hamilton County, but other areas uh, as well. And I think we're beginning to see those those opportunities expand beyond the typical, you know, Fishers, Carmel uh, type situations into a Westfield obviously very close geographically there, but uh, suburban areas that offer access to Indianapolis
0: as well. There's a a real good question about where this economy is going. We, of course, have been tracking oil prices, and oil is now, whether you're talking about West Texas Intermediate or Brent crude, over $90 a, a, a barrel. You clearly see from the consumer price index, and producer price index numbers, that the inflation has gone back up. Uh, not down. Has there been a change in the mentality of uh, Indiana business or, or from uh, state government about what it's going to take to right uh, the, the ship? How are you hearing about any level of extreme measures being taken coming into 2024 about how to ensure economic security of business to business?
3: No, not, I wouldn't say extreme measures, but, you know, but b- believe me, every uh, corporate CEO, every small business uh, leader in the state, uh, it, it has an eye, uh, obviously, on the economy have to do that. But when you look at the inflation numbers, some of the numbers you just quoted there uh, heading into 2024, uncertainty uh, is out there to be sure. Uh, so it's something that these companies and organizations obviously uh, are aware of. You know, when you get back to what we started talking about, uh, the situation with the auto industry and some of the some of the uh, uh, defining points of that and this push to electric vehicles. Indiana's is getting a lot of uh, investment from electric vehicle uh, electric vehicle investment, batteries and components and those types of things. On the flip side, the automakers, which is a part of this whole um, uh, dynamic involving the uh, the labor situation, you know, they're being pushed obviously very hard to go to electric vehicles, which will uh, require fewer workers. They're going to have to find. E- Efficiencies. A state like Indiana with a large uh, population of auto workers, you know, how is that going to affect uh, the economy ultimately? So lots of lots of things, micro things going on in the economy. But the bigger picture, as you suggest, is that eye on the economy and inflation and how that's going to affect things. Right now, I don't see companies taking drastic moves or considering those dr- drastic moves. However, it's something that's out there on the horizon
0: out there on the horizon is an understatement. Gary Dick, InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. I appreciate you. Always X, Twitter X. It's all the same. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.
4: A number of years. I think five, eight years, the, the Senate would never even pass one appropriation bill. We we watched at the end of last year what normally would happen in Washington. There's been an omnibus bill that never goes through committee, got jammed. So I pledged that we'd never put an omnibus on the floor. But we did something different in the debt ceiling. We put the 1% cut across the board if you don't pass all 12 bills in the next year. Everybody was upset by it, but I firmly believe structure dictates behavior. You have to change the structure of Washington. And it's tough. People fight it, right? But now we've been able to move on both sides the bills out out of the committee. Um, I showed frustration in here because I am frustrated with the committee. I'm frustrated with some people in the conference. We had the DOD appropriation bill yesterday. I couldn't put it on the floor. I don't have one complaint by any member of what's wrong with this bill. We're going to give a pay raise to those E-1s that are in there. They're only making 20-some thousand, up to 30,000.
0: If there's nobody complaining, why aren't things getting done? Why the need for a continuing resolution at all? That's Speaker McCarthy right there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. The continuing resolution that they're putting into place to try and avoid a government shutdown at the end of this month This would run through October 31st, so of course, Halloween, trick or treat, it just plays on itself, people. You still get the 1% spending cut, and I don't know if that's going to last or not last through. I'm not a believer in these uh, cuts because they affect defense spending, and I have an issue with it, but more and more people are having an issue right now with Kevin McCarthy because the idea of this continuing resolution has now if you will, split parts of the House. One of those people who is split from Kevin McCarthy is Victoria Spartz from the Indiana 5th District. Full disclosure, my representative in Congress, putting out the statement, unfortunately, and I'm quoting here, real leadership takes courage and willingness to fight for the country, not for power and a picture on a wall. Congresswoman Victoria Spartz joins me right now. Uh, Kevin McCarthy went through 15 votes just so he could have a pretty picture of himself on the wall in the halls of Congress?
1: Well, you know, I haven't seen fighting him for the issues. And, you know, let's look, Tony, at the facts, okay? September 30th didn't move on the calendar. We knew about the date. So what the, the facts are, under Republican leadership, we increase increasing the amount of unauthorized spending. We don't have our appropriations done. The two that we actually have done that we want to pass, they're both increases in spending, which is fine. I am fine if we're going to increase spending on some of the issues, but then where are your cuts? Where are we going to be cutting something? We are borrowing $5 billion a day. $5 billion a day. You know, we're talking about China, fighting China. We are going to spend more on paying interest, including to China, than our national defense very Soon. And we cannot even have a stupid commission. We were like, it's a joke. Our debt ceiling, you know, discussion and debacle, it was a joke saving a billion a year when we have a five billion a day borrowing. We have over 132 trillion of unfunded liabilities. We had two trillion in shortfall and collect only four. Let's not lie to people that we're going to balance something in five years. As a matter of fact, we didn't even pass our budget because we're afraid to pass the budget. Increase amount of notarized spending cannot pass appropriations. He promised people to deal with spending at twenty two levels. He didn't he didn't even start to do that he told me that we at least put some commission that next year we fail this year but i said let's at least have a plan to do something meaningful next year it takes time we need to communicate to people get people on board let's at least put some commission and force the senate to work with us he cannot even do that you know so i am so sick and tired if we we're failing this republic and if we're not going to stand up no one else it will because so the other me, side
0: is completely gone. Let's let's take now a, a, a moment and make sure that we're all on the same page of what this continuing resolution is about as I know it. You had 12 appropriations bills that had to be passed. This was the deal that Speaker McCarthy made with President Biden. 12 of these bills would have to be passed. We don't have a number on the debt ceiling, but we have other levels of cuts that go on, and people agreed and disagreed, and here's where we're at. 12 appropriations bills that have to be approved. Otherwise, this penny plan, this 1% cut across the board, goes into effect are, are we now seeing that the 12 appropriations bills are not going to get passed or well, is it deal. that they won't be passed in time, which is why you are saying you knew when September 30th was on the calendar.
1: Well, let, let's be honest. The, the challenges, all of this 1% cut is going to work only all of this. If we have CRs, continuous resolution for all of this bill at the end of the year, if we don't, we don't even have 1% cut. And it's only cut, it's going to, I think there was a great period, like three or four months, so it's not even going to happen right away. So I think that was actually not very well written, you know, sequestration language. I was surprised, you know, talk to some people, it's what they said, it actually wasn't really what it says in the bill. So we actually have a potential where we pass increases right now for fewer appropriations and the rest of it is not even going to be cut at all. So we, in a total, will increase enough right spending, we will increase discretionary spending, and we will increase non-discretionary spending. So we actually will give more money under the Republican leadership to Biden administration that's failing us everywhere on every issue. So that's the challenge we have, because we had plenty of time to work on this issue. So I just said, okay, I want to have a plan for next year, but also with this appropriations agreement, since you know, the Conservatives agree that we're going to start at twenty-two level because twenty-three was so inflated. Okay, they haven't. Okay. So now it's a hundred billion difference from two remaining appropriations that didn't pass through the committee. To reconcile it, we would have to cut spending on third, third one sort of spending. That is not going to happen. So, you cannot reconcile the numbers. So, I told them, I said, at least commit him to something. Last time he gave you lies, passed all these bills, negotiated with Democrats and Senate, and passed what they wanted to do. Nothing meaningful. He's going to screw you again on the board and everything else commit where all of his cuts are going to be coming from right now we are passing increases in spending which is fine if we believe we need to increase spending in some areas like national defense although i would argue we have to audit that department and figure out where the money there go to but that's a different conversation but even if we're willing to do it Where are the cuts? What are we doing right now? There is no difference anymore between Republicans and Democrats. We just give money to different special interest groups, and people are tired. So at least let's have a plan. And he doesn't want to have a plan. We didn't even pass the budget. He stole the budget. He doesn't want to pass because he's afraid to challenge special interest groups because they became so powerful in Washington, D.C., so much money. The Senate is so corrupt. That no one can move it. And I said, we. I don't care what Senate doesn't like. They're going to attack you. I care less. We are the United States House. We have control. Let's pass it. Put it on the floor. Let's take them out. Let them take out. Don't be afraid to put it on the floor. But he's afraid to put even commission on the you floor. You keep
0: mentioning af- afraid, talking to Congresswoman Victoria Sparts of the Indiana 5th District, that, that uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, is afraid. In a House of Representatives that can have him removed with a vote or at least call for his removal with a vote, one would think he'd be more afraid of the members than he is of the special interest because the only way to actually have the power is to be in the chair. Your argument is he isn't worried about the members trying to to move him out. And if we're going to say special interest, can you give us an example of whom?
1: Well, I'll give you an example, but it seems like he is more afraid and I think he's going to get himself, you know, in in a position that he might lose his job, you know, the one he wants so badly, because ultimately leaders make tough decisions and make tough fights, you know, not for the, for themselves when you fight for, for you know, for yourself for position, but fight for issues for the people. That's what leadership is tested. And I haven't seen him fighting for any issue. This is very different when you go fight in elections that I'm so great or if you go to fight, you know, for, for, you know, something that you want to be in position and telling all this BS to people how great Fight. I judge people for the trenches and fighting for real fights for issues and for with the people. But I'll give you an example. One of the issues that, OK, we will have a very tough thing, you know, decisions to make. We'll have to get American people on board And some of this pro- programs is has bankrupt. Medicare, Social Security, bankrupt within five, ten years. But there are some easier things, you know, totally fraud and abuse on the system. We have number one, donor hospital. Number two, big pharma and insurance. You know, top three dollars, hospital, pharma, and insurance. Canada is corrupt, bought by them. I said we have billions of dollars of abuse. I get five items, $1.8 of savings. Obama agreed and Trump agreed. Bipartisan issue. I got bipartisan think tank on board. I said, let's just make some real difference, at least in some of the things. That is a pure misappropriation of taxpayers' money, defrauding seniors and trying to save Medicare. You know, this is sort of the easy items, right? There are some other ones that will be way tougher. Congress will have to deal with. He's not even cannot do that. Well, he's going to be attacked. He's going to be attacked by Jeffrey and Schumer because, you know, hospital monopoly in New York is so corrupt and controlled. I said, I don't care. Let them attack you. Let's go and win it with American people that we're willing to stand up for them. Why are we talking about all these programs? People say "Bulk government. We have not increased any authorization. FBI and DOJ is still going to get it bulk money. Why should they care? What they do to the American people? If we would have gone through authorization process, which I already for over a year was harassing him, I said, let's have a plan. We have over a thousand programs unauthorized. Let's pick some and start working on them. That's how you can really make this, you know, officials accountable when you yank their money. But well, you know, you have to spend some time.
0: Let's talk about who's on your side. Matt Rosendale of Montana is on your side, calling it a continuation of Nancy Pelosi's budget and Joe Biden's policies. Uh, Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina urging Congress to pass bills that fund uh, individual agencies. You have Representative Tony Gonzalez uh, along the U.S. border saying, it's crystal clear a government shutdown is coming. I represent 66% of the Texas-Mexico border, a hollow continuing resolution built to win a messaging battle does nothing to keep America safe. But on the side of the continuing resolution... You have Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida who puts out on X Twitter, the 30-day continuing resolution does two things. Number one, secure the southern border. Number two, cut government spending by 8% and continues by saying there is no Ukraine money. He continues the truth is Congress needs more time to do the necessary spending cuts and reforms to stop the weaponization of our government and save our country. If the continuing resolution goes through, does it cut government spending by 8%? And what do you make? I I don't mean to ask two questions here, but I want the answers to both. Does it cut spending by 8%? And what do you make of Congressman Donald's noting a lack of money for Ukraine being a reason to go forward with it?
1: Well, listen, I will tell you something. This resolution well, forced for a short period of time on some of the spending, but they also have increases in spending they wanted to pass. You know, so in other authorization, in VA authorization, and national defense authorization, we have increases, right? So in reality, you know, since it's more than 50%, it's probably not even going to cut. It's a net effect, which I understand that, unfortunately, and I said I am not opposed to have a short-term resolution, even though we should have already worked on these issues, right? And he should have taken it seriously. But I want to have a plan how we're going to have it seriously, how we're going to force a serious conversation next year on that ceiling, how we're going to have a forced serious conversation on the Senate on authorization next year. So we need to have a plan and where all of the cuts are going to be coming. He is not committed. All of this stuff is unenforceable. Nothing is going to secure anything. Biden knows. Let's pass this. Then he is again. He did it last time, made a deal with Democrats. And since conservatives put their border security. How many times do you lord border security? Where is it? It was taken out. And he signed off on that and making deals with Democrats. Let's be honest. Say, I'm planning not to fight, and I'm going to make him deals with Democrats. No. That he did it last time. Like, at least be honest this time. And then people have to decide, do they support this leadership or not? But let's be honest. He never fought. Last, it's exactly the same situation. I was a deciding vote. On, you know, a last time to move forward uh, our that ceiling bill that I told conservative, you never start from the floor. It's a ceiling. You're going to be screwed. He will do nothing. Well, guess what? I felt bad for them. I said, I even disagree with it. I was a deciding vote to move it forward. I voted yes. And I told Kevin, I want to put some stuff on the table. He told me he will, and he didn't. So I am making mistakes and give people, you know, a few times tell me not the truth and it's happened but i think the third time i am not going to let him not tell the truth so i want to have a serious conversation you know what is going to happen and not because he's not fighting he does a lot of talk and appeasement messaging build but when it comes at the end push to shove he's not fighting for the people
0: you're referring to speaker mccarthy or you're referring to congressman I byron donalds
1: no, I'm talking to Speaker McCarthy. I mean, I mean, Congressman McDonald's, you know, he said explain what things he's doing. I think he's trying to figure out how to get out of this situation, you know, and try to make some things. But ultimately, Speaker McCarthy is in charge, you know, and, you know, ultimately, it's not up to a few people like him and a few other ones making deals. We have to get it in front of the conference and make these decisions together. You know, he doesn't represent most of us, you know, and he might represent himself and his voters and he will explain to them. But ultimately, I don't care what, you know, he has to say. If he was willing to make deals with, you know, with McCarthy to get on committees and the other things, that is their shot. You know, whatever the mill does, I don't even know. Maybe they don't. I don't really care what they do. I am not making any deals. I should use an enormous amount of political capital. But it's sad for me to see that I'm usually the only woman standing fighting for the fiscal insanity that happened in our Congress. This is unbelievable that we cannot stand up and think about the future of our children. It shouldn't be even a partisan issue. And on the background, people agree, you know, even Democrats agree, but they're all afraid of big money. Big money became so powerful Congresswoman, and people so I am afraid to, not to be reelected.
0: I am up against the Congresswoman Victoria Spartz of the Indiana 5th District. spartz.house.gov is where you can find her. Congresswoman, always appreciate it. More is coming up on Tony Katz. You know, the one thing where Congresswoman Spartz and I do find a tremendous amount of overlap, and I actually always have... Uh, is is this idea that Republicans, if they're not going to stop spending, what makes them any different than Democrats? I've said many times, you've heard me uh, say it, uh, Democrats spend, Republicans spend slower. It's still the issue. In the end, spending is the issue. If we're going to cut, we're going to cut. Yeah, some people are going to be absolutely affected. Yes, yeah, some programs are going to go. Yeah, some people are going to feel the pain. Right now, we all feel the pain. This is the way it is. Things have to be ranked, and some things have to go. We can't pay for everything, and that's the end of the ballgame. So it's an interesting take where she states, they're going to hate you anyway. They're going to come at you anyway. So just make the cuts already. Get it done. We're going to see how this continuing resolution plays out. Is it going to happen, or are we going to have a government shutdown? That's the question now. But I'm not going to get worked up about it either way, and neither should you. Find it all at tonycats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.